0: We pray for God's word as it's ministered today. Heavenly Father, as we are about to break the bread of life, as it were, in the word of God, it reminds us too of the ways in which you supply for us, both spiritually and physically. We pray, Father, as harvesting begins, as we see it in measures of force in various parts for safety on those who are working in those fields. And also, Lord, as we pray for that, that you will also give blessing to the word that is being scattered here today, as seed is sown during harvest time, but a different seed, a seed of your word, that it may work in our hearts to such an end, that we would return thanks to you, profess our faith in Christ, and serve our Savior all our days. May your word come faithfully and be received in faith by the blessing of your spirit, for Jesus' sake. Amen. First Samuel 21, 10-15, that's the portion of God's word we're looking at this morning as we continue our series out of First Samuel, and particularly the exploits of David and things that were going on around it. Of course, it's not just about David, it's about what God is doing here. as He has his plans of salvation that lead to Jesus Christ and beyond. But we look at 1 Samuel 21 that way then, verses 10 through 15. We pick up there, verse 10 of 1 Samuel 21. And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David, the king of the land? Did not they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Akish the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands, and made marks on the doors of the gate, and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Akish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? That's as far as we read from God's word this morning. May indeed be a blessing to us today. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, if we ever recall massacres or acts of terror or genocide. Sad to say, those are oftentimes memorable matters for us because of their atrocities. We wonder how people can be like that and act like that, do things like that. Of course, they remind us, don't they, that sin, in whatever form it takes, however we might consider it light or intense, sin is simply madness. It really is. The memorable acts of terror just magnify that truth. Because why should we want to sin at all? Why would Adam and Eve, for instance, uh, listen to a serpent and ruin the goodness that they had in God? Why? Why would Cain not take the counsel of God to be his brother's keeper and do what's right so that it would go well with him? Why? Why would he not take that counsel? Why do do children disobey their parents? Boys and girls, why do you do that when when you know, when you know that if you honor them, it'll go well with you. That's what the Bible tells you. Why is it that we're tempted to be lazy? Why is there laziness in the world? You know, we celebrate Labor Day, but there, there can be a, a, a desire to be lazy, right? To work less, to to be lazy in that sense of failing to be productive. And when we know that if we're productive, it's going to be better for ourselves, it's going to be better for other people. And it will be a glory to God who made us to do these things in the first place. Why do people hold grudges that just eat away at them and eat away at others like gangrene? It it doesn't make any sense. It's madness. Well, when we see David's madness, not just his faking it, but in actuality, we can ask the same question Why? When you look at this episode, why would he do what he's doing? But then again, why do we? When we sin, you know, we want to try to answer those questions and get into David's madness a bit this morning. We're looking at his flight to Gath. And we're looking at his fear, and we're looking at his faking or his feigning. So we're we're looking at David's madness here. And not first of all in his faking of his madness, but first of all his madness in his flight to Gath. That was madness. In reality, there's nothing fake about that. Now, it's true that, that David had received, as it were, the will of the Lord through the pretense with Jonathan towards Saul. But it's also true that we are never told, we never read of David called to leave the promised land. God never told him to do that. He was never called to leave the promised land, which was symbolic of the Lord's presence. Something like that happens, of course, in the case of Elijah later, who leaves the promised land because he fears the rebukes of Jezebel. Right? He's afraid of, of Jezebel killing him off. We also hear back in the times of Ruth, who was a great-great-grandmother of of David, where her father-in-law, Elkanah, left the promised land with dire consequences. He lost his sons. And in those cases, we don't receive any word from the Lord that that's where they were supposed to go. Many have made the point that in leaving the promised land, David was not providing any advantages for himself, even though he might have thought that that such a move would keep him safe. Because after all, Gath was an enemy of Saul. And Saul could not as quickly track him down there as he could in his own country. And so it seemed to make sense. But David was giving up too much. In the land of promise was the care and keeping of the Lord. That's where the rest would be found. That's where the prophetic word was. That's where the work of sacrifice was. The Lord might deliver David despite all this, but but this was not what David was supposed to leave behind. It wasn't sensible to avoid Saul's presence by sacrificing the Lord's presence. And then seek peace and rest with the enemies of the Lord. Things are certainly different today, of course. We try to take what's going on here and shove it over to where we are. Because there isn't a a certain place where we're going to find the presence of the Lord. No. No one holy place, shrine, country, no holy nation politically that way, right? But it still makes no sense for us to abandon God's presence, does And how do we do that? Well, we do that by abandoning the places where He's with His people. In worship and the communion of the saints, we can do so practically, living as if God isn't in the midst, as if God doesn't see us, or failing to see that God is right in the middle of what's going on in our lives and not away from what's going on in our lives. We can do that by by failing to take the comfort of his promise to be with us till the close of the age seriously. We hear it. We're reminded of it. We learn it at an early age. But to take it seriously and then receiving instead the reward of his absence because we decide unbelief is maybe a better way to go. God is just as much with his people during troubled times as he is when we're singing happy days are here again. Although some of the kids probably don't know that song. but Some of you older people can tell them what that song was about sometime. But the question isn't whether we feel like God's around, but but rather if we believe it. It's eternally and temporally to our advantage to believe it. (laughs) For ourselves, for our children, and for those who witness our testimony of the Lord's presence in our lives. Though the Lord has, has given us everything to use for enjoyment in Him, we better be careful that we don't turn to bad company or bad influences to find the security that we can only find in Him. But it's also foolish, you see, for David to be going to to Gath on the heels of what we've heard in our past episode. Because what was it that David was looking, taking along with him to Gath? It's almost humorous, you know. He takes the sword of Goliath to Gath. And of course, Goliath was from Gath. What are you doing? This sword was like no other, and swords were not in plentiful supply. What was David thinking? If he was hoping to lay low or be accepted, carrying the sword of Goliath's of gath around in gath was not going to be the way to do it. And it just underscores the foolishness, the madness, maybe the desperation, if you will, of David. But what was he thinking? And you know, sin, as we disobey God, and sin is disobedience to God, but sin is a delusion, of proper thought. What really are we thinking when we sin? You know, what are we thinking when, when everything around us speaks to the power and the majesty of the Lord, and we don't want to acknowledge it or, or look at it that way? when we are observing it, when we are working with it, when we're studying it. What are we thinking when the Bible tells us that if we seek His kingdom first and and put first things first and His righteousness first, then all these other things will be added unto us. No, we, we want to go the other way and say, no, 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 no. God gets the last. God gets the scraps once I get my kingdom figured out. What are we thinking? What are we thinking when the Bible says, try me and see if I don't open the floodgates of heaven if you're generous, and and yet we withhold? We don't want to be. We'd rather keep it for ourselves. What are we thinking? If if our children are not hearing the name of God or or the word of God or or Jesus Christ mentioned in our homes, what, what are we thinking about about our poor children that way. What are we thinking when we don't take time to pray? What are we thinking when we don't fear God and honor the King? What are we thinking when we're not helpmates to our husbands or sacrificial lovers of our wives? What are we thinking? Why do we think that's better not to be like that? What are we thinking when we're putting temporal gains before eternal glory. That what matters more to me is that I make a lot of money or I do what I want to do even if it might mean that that God gets set aside in the process. When job or friend or pleasure comes before God. We might say that David was mad. But how maddening in our own lives when we sin. is sin a maddening thing? No wonder we're called daily to, to pray for forgiveness huh? before the Lord. Not just look at David and say, what a maddening person you are, but just in our own lives. Whenever we sin, it's a maddening thing. Why do we do it? We seek God's part. So we see the madness of David in his slight. We see David's madness also, though, not only in his slight, but his fear. Because we see that he's very much afraid. Now, we might say that he feared, therefore he fled. But what I'm, I'm speaking about here is the way he reacted to the statements of the servants of Achish. How he responded to the claims that, while poetic, still spoke to the power that the Lord had given to David. The Philistines called David the king of the land. And they remember that he's been serenaded in the past as, as someone who was greater than Saul, their arch enemy. They may have acknowledged that his, his power was from the Lord. They may not have done that, I should say, even as the girls who sang and danced didn't do, but they still knew that he was a formidable enemy. David knew why he was the one that had killed tens of thousands. Had he not given praise to the Lord for that power? Wasn't it the way with David against Goliath that way, as it it was with Jonathan and his armor bearer, that, that God could save with many or a few, as he did in the one person, Jesus Christ? We don't read that the Philistines here were vengeful. We don't read that they were afraid, but we do know that they recognized David to the extent that they could, that he was a formidable foe. But despite that, uh, the reaction of David with Achish and to Achish of Gath is so different from his reaction to Goliath of Gath. Is it because he's alone? Is it because he's in enemy territory? Or is it because he's forgotten the word of the Lord? Has he forgotten his promises? Does he doubt the Lord's word? It shouldn't be surprising that being outside of the promised land that he would lose his courage. And yet David forgets that the Lord's word has no bounds. People may be bound, but the Lord's word cannot be. We we can be glad that that this isn't one of those places where we should say, Well, we ought to be like David, which is just a moralistic way of looking at this passage. Well, you sure don't want to be like David here. Rather, be like Christ, who was who he was for you, who was who he was in a way that David was not. Christ had to face all that the world and that evil could throw at him. And he had to do it alone though he had to bear the weight of sin upon himself to the point that he would sweat blood because of the strain that that would bring to him, even though he knew the horror of that bearing like nobody else has ever known horror, but he did it for the sake of his people. He did it for our sake when we find ourselves resting in him. It certainly is easy to point to David of course then and say well why did you fear David and 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 yet do we fear don't don't, don't the turning of events cause a trembling and, a, and an uncertainty doesn't uh, don't we don't we see our fragility so easily in David Now David may indeed have been wrong in fearing gath but but how often does the Lord Not, doesn't the Lord call us out of our own fears, right? Our our fears of unrighteousness, our our fears of the powerful, our fears of the future, our our fears of failing, our fears of others, and even our fear of death, and and tell us repeatedly, don't be afraid. It is I. Fear not. Fear not. You know we can point to David, but we can point to ourselves. But thank God we can point to Christ who faced the cross fearlessly for our sake so that we might and others might know his peace and his rest in our lives because that's where it's found. Finally, we we look at the the, the faking or the feigning of madness that David uses as his way out of the predicament right he's he pretends like he's insane and he's spitting all over the place and and uh, he he's just makes marks on the door like an animal it seems to be madness that that actually points to to the philistine's madness right cuz akish says don't i have enough madness See, that underscores the foolishness of David going to the Philistines for relief. Because it was like going to the madmen. Plenty of madmen in Philistia. Plenty of madmen outside of the circle of faith. Outside the circle of the covenant. If David thought Saul was mad, then how about these Philistines? They got enough madness. And so wouldn't he have been better off in the land of peace instead of the land of madness? And aren't we not better off seeking God's way as we're seeking peace and by our own cunning and, and our own leaning on our own understanding? Because look at look at David's cunning. What a, what a different display from his days against Goliath, where he could speak so eloquently and in such godly terms. You come to me with sword and spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. But now what? Where is that articulation? Where is that dignified speech? It's nowhere to be found. Did the Lord deliver David? Providentially, yes, he did, but, but not, again, because of himself, but despite himself. As we said before, God is not going to let anyone spoil his plans for his glory and for the benefit of his people, not even the instruments like David that he uses to push those plans through. And David pales here pathetically to the... To the dignity that Jesus showed through all his trials here on this earth. As he goes to death not kicking and screaming, but he gives his life voluntarily a ransom for many. Jesus showed his dignity in his earthly ministry, his trial before Pilate and hanging on the cross. Now David's feigning he might have done the trick, we might say. It may have been pragmatic, but it certainly didn't do anything to promote the magnificence of the Lord, whose name he was to honor, which he did before, which he didn't do now. It paled in comparison to his behavior and words of truth in days gone by. You see, you see, looking like fools is not calling of the Lord's anointed, nor those who follow him. We're not to look like fools. Indeed, we might be considered fools for Christ's sake, but that's a different story. That's different than acting like fools, acting like the world would, when we're called to act like Christ. And it doesn't take much to do it. Christians need to be the light of the world and not to show the world a blind darkness that they already know. Should we be panicking during times of trouble? Should we dishonor marriage and our families like the world does? Should we be holding grudges or taking vengeance like the world does? Should we do business like the world does? Should we grieve like the world does that has no hope? Grief we will, but not like the world that has no hope. Should we be speaking as the world speaks so that we can fit in? Should we look at the world like the world looks at the world? Should we love like the world loves and make sure we put ourselves and in our name first? Because that's what the world does. Should we be acting as fools? that's what the world does. Or should we be standing lovingly, obediently, courageously, boldly, articulately, and distinctively as we proclaim the truth in the name of the Lord as followers of the Christ? Because it's madness to be anything else. It's madness. See, David's madness, again, it's found in his flight because he abandons the word for the refuge of the world. That's that's not our calling. It, it It's seen in his fear when he forgets the promises of the Lord and who he is as the anointed of the Lord. And it's found in his faking as he looks like a fool before the world. And the world can do that Plenty by itself. Thank the Lord that Christ was anything but a fool. He was anything but a fool, but he was anything but these things for us. May the Lord enable us to cling to Him and and seek refuge in Him alone. May, may He help us to remove the madness of sin from our lives all the more. And may it happen in the lives of more people, too, as the gospel goes out. And may we cherish the promises of the Lord as they move us to courage. May the Lord help us all to present the wisdom of the Lord to the world. So that people might think, though they might think that we're fools for following Christ. We truly won't act like one. Because Christians know, and the Word of God tells us, that the real madness is failing to trust and follow Christ. Amen. Let's take a moment to respond in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, sin is a maddening thing come recognizing our own faults that way and failings whenever we sin. We're glad that while David was mad or pretending to be so, Jesus Christ never was. And it may be one thing we realize, dear Father, the world might think it foolish for us to follow a crucified Savior and one who gave himself a ransom for many. may we be challenged today to to recognize that while there are those temptations to flee to the world to find our peace and find our safety that such uh, fleeing on our part is madness the real madness is when we're not trusting your son and not following him and we're thankful that He became all things for us so that we might know your wisdom. We pray that that may be what we know today. Not the madness of the world, but the wisdom of the word who was made flesh and dwelt among us. May you accept our prayers, Father, for Jesus.